Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to morning worship. As always, a special welcome to members of our family and friends joining us from across the country and around the world. And a very special welcome today to Dr. Best friend Charlotte and baby Jonathan. It's lovely to see you and thank you for joining us. <laughs> um, along with our minister, Katrina, today, we'll also hear the voices of Elham and Ali, who'll be praying both in English and in Farsi. We'll hear Leo, Pirio, Paul F and Jeff. And of course, we'll also hear Paul accompanying our hymns along with Yang Yang on violin. Very shortly, Owen and Ethan and their family will be lighting our candle and we're all invited to light a candle of our own at the same time if we'd like to do that. Then immediately after this service, there will be a church meeting. You may have noticed uh, that I sent out an agenda and some minutes uh, yesterday. Instead of going into breakout rooms to chat at the end of the service, we'll take a 10 minute break and make ourselves a cup of tea or whatever else we need to do in those 10 minutes before we begin our meeting. Uh, please don't actually log out, just turn off your camera and then come back in 10 minutes time and we'll start our meeting. Please do stay if you can. Um, as you know, in our church, although only members can vote, absolutely everybody is welcome to take part in the discussion and to help us think through what's going on in our church family and also hear all the latest news. Then at 7pm, our evening service will be led by Shahid Khan. This will be a communion service. So if you're coming this evening, please remember to have something ready to eat and drink. Katrina will be on leave uh, for a week commencing this Thursday. So next Sunday, morning worship at 11am will be led by our friend Graham Meeklejohn from Scottish Baptist College. But now it's over to Owen and Ethan to light our candle. As we gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. I want to Light, that's right. Christ is the light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ's light this day.
almost every day for the last year or so, we have been updated on the number of people in Scotland who have very sadly died of or with COVID-19. And one of the things that has struck me each time we hear those figures is the important reminder that these are not just numbers. These are people. And behind every single one of them, there is a family who is grieving and mourning for somebody they have loved. This week, our national news has been dominated by the, a number of deaths of people whose names have been shared with us, who, none of whom have died directly related to COVID-19, but nonetheless, who, whose, whose deaths are in some way or other significant. But whether they are named or unnamed, every single person is unique and precious and a child of the living God. They are grieved for, they are mourned. And so it's good as we begin our worship today to recall some of those before God. We name before God Richard Okoregei, aged 19, a university student, a young black man. Nikki Graham, aged 38, a real reality television star, a young white woman. Neil Astles, aged 59, a lawyer serving the, the council in Warrington. Philip Mountbatten, aged 99, Duke of Edinburgh, consort to Queen Elizabeth. In addition, 254 unnamed people have had their deaths reported of or with COVID in these islands. And beyond these are others known maybe to us, but mostly to other people whose names we will never know. The Apostle writes, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? May they all rest in peace and rise in glory. God in community, who we may name as Father, Son and Spirit, as parent, sibling and companion, in whom we live and move and have our being, we approach you in worship. Knowing the limitations of words, aware of the mystery that is beyond our understanding. We meet together, a virtual community of people scattered across the globe each with our own unique identity, each shaped by the contexts in which we live and move and have our being. And we approach you in worship as your precious children, siblings, companions, yearning for a grace 
love and peace we cannot define or express. And all too aware of human frailty and fallibility. Holy One, who makes and remakes us, always in your likeness. Holy Three, whose dance of life and love draws us into the mystery of ultimate reality. Holy and mysterious God, perfect community of eternal life and love. Welcome us, embrace us, and renew us, we pray. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed by thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespasses against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Ey Peter, ma kedar osmani, name to mogadas bad. Malakut to barqarar gerdad. Irade to anchanan kedar osman hajari ist dar zamin niz ejra shavad. Nane rozane mara imruz o har roz be ma ata farmo. از قرض و گناه ما بگذر همانطور که ما از قرض و گناه دیگران میگذریم ما را در شریر میابد بلکه از شریر محفوظ بدار که ملکوت و جلال تا عبد العباد از آن توست آمین
The first Bible reading is from Psalms 133. It is truly wonderful when relatives live together in peace. It is as beautiful as olive oil poured on Aaron's head and running down his beard and the collar of his robe. It is like the dew from Mount Hermon falling on Zion's mountains where the Lord has promised to bless his people with life forevermore. Sunday after Easter, or Easter 2 in some schemes, is also sometimes called Low Sunday. And it's one that a lot of ministers choose to take off. After all the intensity of Lent and Holy Week and Easter itself, we tend to be physically, mentally and spiritually weary. And it's very easy to feel that we have nothing left to give. And that's true. (laughs) I am tired and weary, but I love to lead worship on Low Sunday. It's a special Sunday for me for all sorts of reasons, many of which I've told you many times before, but hey-ho, I'll probably tell you them again today. It was Low Sunday 2009 that I preached for the first time at Hillhead Baptist Church. And as I walked through the doors of the Trist, and was greeted by June McBlain with her signature top knot and little squinchy thing, and heard her comment, and I can't do the accent, but she said, Leicestershire, that's an awfully long way to come to preach. Um, there was a strange sense of coming home. It might have been something about the initials HBC, which I'd also lived with for a previous six years. As I looked at the lectionary readings for today, it did seem to me once again that this sense of homecoming, of family or community, of relatedness, interconnectedness and siblinghood emerged quite strongly. And as I read the readings and pondered them, familiar as they are, there were things that jumped out to me and seemed to stick with me. Psalm 133 is very short. And again, as I've said oodles of times over the years, it's one of the ascent psalms, one of the songs that may well have been sung by pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem, or possibly as they climbed the steps to the temple, they would pause on each step and say or sing one of these very short psalms. It could, I think, refer to a domestic household. It could also 
refer to the household of God, the people of God, the community of faith. Now, we all know that in Bible times, households were nothing like they are today. Nowadays, households are sometimes what is referred to as nuclear families, sometimes what is referred to as blended families. And for roughly half the people who live on these islands, they are one person families, adults who live alone or live with companion animals. But at the time the psalm was written, a household would be a multitude of families really living together. There would be grown-up sons and daughters until they got married. And grown-up sons who got married may stay in the family home until such time as they had children of their own before they moved on. And there would be employees and there would be servants and there would be slaves. So the potential for quarrelling and squabbling and falling out has to have been huge. Growing up with three siblings, we had plenty of squabbles and fights and disagreements. And I don't think we were that unusual. So we have this incredible thing that is stated here, that it is really beautiful when siblings, members of a family, can live together in unity. I don't think unity means uniformity. I don't think it means we all think alike or believe alike, or understand alike, or will agree on everything. But it does mean we have a commitment to each other, that we see ourselves as siblings in Christ. Just a brief aside as to why I'm using the word sibling rather than brothers and sisters. There is um, a growing recognition that binary categories are not entirely helpful. Siblinghood embraces us all however we understand and identify ourselves. So this community, this family of siblings, is beautiful in at least two ways. One of them is it's compared to the godly anointing of the priest Aaron. So there's a priestly quality to this family, this siblinghood. It brings God delight and God seemingly ordains it. In all the muddle, in all the mess, in all the confusion and bewilderment, God ordains it. And then it's also described as being like the Jew on Mount Hermon. Now, this is a slightly obscure reference, and even the commentators aren't quite sure what it means. But I did a little bit of digging on that wonderful thing called the Internet. And apparently, the Jew on Mount Hermon tends to be more like a, a light mist more like a smur or a mizzle, I guess, for those of us who use such words to describe it. But on a hot day, this mist, this dew, this smur or mizzle or whatever it is, is cool and refreshing. So the idea then that this community of people of God is a place of refreshment in all the hurly-burly of life, in all the, the hate of whatever's going on and how frustrated and angry we might get or how upset and disappointed we might get. This is where we can find refreshment. It's a beautiful image of a church, isn't it? It's a beautiful image of a family. And I honestly believe that the day I walked through 
the doors of the Trist into Hillhead Baptist Church. That's what I glimpsed. Something beautiful. Something anointed by God. Something where refreshment is possible amidst all that life brings. We're going to listen now to a reading from the book of Acts, which Pirio is going to read for us. And that describes another such community around about 2000 years ago. So our second reading is from the book of Acts, chapter four, verses 32 to 35. The group of believers was one in mind and heart. None of them said that any of their belongings were their own, but they all shared with one another everything they had. With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God poured rich blessings on them all. There was no one in the group who was in need. Those who owned fields or houses would sell them, bring the money received from the sale, and turn it over to the apostles. And the money was distributed according to the needs of the people. gives us a very beautiful and gentle image of the community of believers, the siblings in faith, then the book of Acts gives us something very radical, very radical indeed, a community that transcends blood ties in which nobody claims possession of anything, but instead everything is held in common. Reading carefully this uh, description in the book of Acts and another similar one, it does appear that people continued to own their own property and their own land. It wasn't that everybody handed over the trust deeds or whatever for their, their property, didn't all pay everything in that they had. But there was an unspoken understanding about mutuality. So if somebody had some land that they wanted to sell, 
they didn't just think, well, that's great. I'll get the highest price for it I can, and then I'll go off on my travels or I'll buy a new set of oxen or whatever it might be. As part of their mutuality, they would bring that money to the community and, and it would go into a common pot that was used to support those who had a need. I think it's part of what we see in some of the, the writings in the epistles about this community in which humanly defined structures are torn down between rich and poor, between slaves and free, between Gentile and Jew, between black and white, that there is no such thing as male and female anymore, that we are all one and we are all united. It's fair to say, because I've done a little bit of checking around, that even the most radically committed Christian communities there are don't quite go as far as we seem to see in this description in the Book of Acts. I, I know people who are part of Christian communities that expect accountability. You can't just go and buy a car because you want a car you bring your decision to buy a car to the community and, and it's discussed. Why do you want to buy a car? How will this serve the community as well as, as meeting your personal needs? It is an incredibly radical lifestyle and it's not one that I ever feel comfortable to be pushing on people. But I think there are general principles, which I will come back to, that are really important for all of us, whatever our communities of faith look like. And I need to start by noting that one of the amazing things about the pandemic is that Hillhead Baptist Church is now Hillhead Baptist Church Glasgow Plus and Plus Plus Plus, which is wonderful. And some people of the Plus 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 will be here once and some people will be here for a season and some may choose to stay connected with us long term. And all of those is wonderful and beautiful. But what's described here, I think, in the book of Acts and where I want to go with this is for those who decide this is the community with which I covenant. This is my central, my, my main family of God, if you like. Uh, no language is adequate, whether we use the language of community or family. But these are the people with whom I am committed and will journey on. And I say that importantly because I know there are folk, even with us this morning, who are part of other faith groups and communities whose primary loyalty is somewhere else. And that's great. So perhaps hear what is said in relation to your own home church, your own home community or whatever it is. And if you're not part of any church, that's okay. Just see what you can take from what is shared. I also think it's important to note that this is not like a how-to manual. What was done in Acts 2 and what was done in Acts 4 are not the things that we absolutely have to copy. It's not suggesting that you do the same. These are examples from which we can draw principles. And I guess it shouldn't surprise us that the main principle that we see here is what is sometimes called the golden rule. That you love God and you love your neighbour as you love yourself. And if you do love your neighbour as you love yourself, and if you do love God with as much of your heart, soul, mind and spirit as you can manage, 
then that will inform the choices you make about the property and possessions that you have. Right at the heart, I think, is a paradigm shift in our perspective. We all live in a world where individualism and consumerism and and my life, my success, my happiness, my fulfilment are the drivers. But what we are called to is something radically different that looks at our flourishing, our well-being, the common good, the common space wealth, the common space wheel, that kind of understanding that we are in this together. And that if I'm happy, you're happy for me. And if you're sad, I'm sad for you. And when you struggle, I share your struggle. And when I'm having a great time, you share my great time because it's never about me. It's always, always about us. We are siblings together in this amazing thing that is known as the church, as Hillhead Baptist Church, or as insert the name of the local church where you would physically gather were you not with us today. It's a radical commitment that says race and status and education and wealth aren't what matters. What matters is our shared humanity, our shared personhood, our shared place within God's people. And so we're going to listen again to another passage of scripture, one that is perhaps more uh, often recognised as part of the Easter story, and then just reflect a little bit more. Thanks, Paul. Our reading is from John chapter 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were together. They had locked the doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came in and stood among them. He said, may peace be with you. Then he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were very happy when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, may peace be with you. The Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. He then breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Thomas was one of the 12 disciples. He was also called Didymus. He was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. So they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, First, I must see the nail marks in his hands. I must put my finger where the nails were. I must put my hand into his side. Only then will I believe. A week later, Jesus' disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them. He said, may peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me, but still have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in front of his disciples, 
They are not written down in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. If you believe this, you will have life because you belong to him. them we have had a beautiful image of the community as a place of flourishing something that god delights in and we've had this incredible glimpse into what it looked like for one early church community but i am so grateful for the account from john's gospel that reminds us that the reality is often very messy indeed Here we have a fractured community, people who are hiding away because they're frightened of being arrested by the authorities. And at least one of them isn't there at the start and is also very vocal with his questions and his misgivings. I've always felt that Thomas gets a raw deal in the church, and I know lots of other people think the same. Nobody ever thinks to ask where he was on that day. Did no one tell him? Was he out visiting somebody? Had he been waylaid? We don't know. But he asked the questions that perhaps nobody else dares speak and then gets labelled as being doubting. And of course, nobody refers to Peter as denying or wobbly but Thomas is often seen as the doubter. But I like Thomas because he makes me feel so much better about myself. And I like this image of these frightened, bewildered, messing up people hiding away because it makes me feel so much better about real life families and real life churches. Because the truth is that Christian communities are formed of people who have messed up, 
who do mess up and who will go on messing up. And let's be honest, many of us might also be described as messed up. Real Christians struggle with theology and they squabble over things, some of which in hindsight just seem utterly ridiculous. And yet in the moment, hugely significant. Real Christians fall short of our own standards, never mind the impossible ones set by God. We may see ourselves as inadequate or even as failures. Real Christians can sometimes be incredibly selfish and self-centred, seeking only their own flourishing, even when that's at the expense of others. Real Christians do, or at least should feel free to, express doubts and questions every bit as much as to speak certainties. Real Christians deny Jesus, betray Jesus, run away from Jesus, abandon Jesus. Real Christians tie ourselves in knots over the language we use, the choices we make, the politics we sign up to. Real Christians fall asleep when we're supposed to be praying or forget to read our Bible or well, skip church because the sun's shining or it's just all become too wearisome. Real Christians do get tired or irritable, become unwell or overwhelmed and a whole lot more. And yet into the locked rooms of our hearts and our minds, into our dysfunctional families and fractured, messy communities, into our disordered world, Jesus comes and speaks peace and speaks hope. If the church is to be the church, then for all its central values and all its locally expressed commitment, it also needs to be open at the edges, ready to welcome the Thomases, the Peters, the Judases of our own time. A place where the wayward younger sibling is welcomed and the older dependable sibling is allowed to feel disgruntled. If the church is to be the church, it can never settle for being comfortable. It has to keep on discovering what radical discipleship looks like, asking itself questions, allowing that promised spirit of God to go on disturbing and discomforting us. If the church is to be the church, then its beauty and its anointed status don't lie in perfection but in a commitment to inclusion and flourishing for everyone who is brave enough to enter the door, click on the Zoom link or whatever it may be. And it's found in the openness to the endlessly, chal endlessly challenging and changing need 
to understand what it means who we are. When the church is the church, then at our best, it's a glimpse of heaven. Even if at the worst, we sometimes think it feels a bit more like the other place. Twelve years ago, or bar a couple of weeks, I walked through the doors of Hillhead Baptist Church and experienced that sense of home. Since then, of course, there have been highs and lows. There have been joys and sorrows. There have been times when it's felt like heaven and, yeah, the odd time when it's felt more like the other place. And yet it remains where I am convinced God has called me to be. And yet this is the church I believe that God calls us all to be. I believe it's a place where I can flourish, where I can grow, where I can live out whatever anointing I may have from God. And I believe that in some measure that is true for all of us too, whether we are here for a lifetime or just for this pandemic season. This is the church being the church. And my prayer for each of us today is that whether it's this congregation or some other congregation or some other name that is used for the community in which you find that, we will do our best to live out the values and faith that we profess. Behold, how beautiful it is for siblings in Christ to live together in open-hearted, open-handed, radical, inclusive, mutual community. It is a sign of God's priestly anointing. It is refreshing like a cool mist on a hot day. It is a safe home where all may find welcome. Amen.
Come together in our prayers for others and in our prayers for each other. Let us pray. We come to you with joy as children of God, forgiven, loved, and free, recalling the life of Jesus laid down in love for us. Behind closed doors, afraid, that was how your disciples found themselves that first Easter evening. This morning, <clears throat> we find ourselves behind computer screens. We find ourselves with joy in our hearts. Or maybe we too are afraid. We find ourselves sharing the joy of a virtual service. Or maybe feeling alone despite the familiar faces staring back at us remotely. Risen Lord, you appear to us all this morning saying, peace be with you. We bring to you this morning so many places where there is no peace. We bring you places where there is conflict. We bring you places where there is hopelessness and despair. We, we bring you places where no one has even the most basic necessities of food or shelter or access to health care. We pray this morning that you, risen Lord, will appear among them, bringing peace to their lives. We bring to you this morning so many places. Places where there is grieving for the loss of a loved one. Grieving for the loss of a loved one, unnamed or unknown, only to those closest to them. Or maybe unknown and unloved by anyone. Listed only as an unnamed statistic in the daily toll in our news bulletins. 
risen Lord, bring them your peace. We bring to you this morning those behind closed doors and afraid. Afraid of going outside, afraid of those without face masks, suspicious of anyone who comes too close, afraid of a vaccine, or afraid because I cannot get a vaccine. And we bring to you those behind closed doors and afraid, afraid because of what's on the inside. Risen Lord, bring them your peace. We bring to you those in our own church family. From our own prayer diary, we are asked this week to remember especially the worship group, our musicians, Jean, Sylvia Norman, Ailey, John, Owen and Ethan, Joan, Margaret, Mary and Ian, Nuala, Jonathan, Idris and Casper, Jennifer, Neil and Jensen. We bring to you all in our church family, children of God, forgiven, loved and free, recalling the life of Jesus who appears to us this morning saying, peace be with you. Amen.
May God bless us with the courage to change from comfort to commitment. May God bless us with the openness to welcome and affirm those who are different from us. May God bless us with the confidence to hold fast to our values when we are tempted to compromise. May God bless us with siblings in Christ who will journey with us, love us and serve us today and every day. Amen.